Hi, and welcome to Where the White Coats Come Off podcast. We are Katie and Beth, PAs and doctors of medical science who are here to help you get accepted into PA school, get through PA school, and then have a thriving career as a PA. So if you're a pre-PA, a PA student, or a physician assistant, then you are in the right place. We are so happy you are here and so excited for your future. Before we get started on today's exciting episode, we want you to take a deep breath, close your eyes, and imagine the day when you finally and confidently submit your CASPA application, an application that you are super proud of and that sets you apart from the thousands of other applicants. Then imagine the day you open your inbox and you see not one, but two, then three invites to some of your favorite PA programs. Then imagine your interview day. You go into your interview confident in your answers and confident that you are a competitive candidate. You crush your interview and wow your interview panel. Finally, imagine the day you receive the email, the one you have hustled for so hard and for so many years, the email that says, congratulations, you were accepted into PA school. This can be your reality, and our entire mission is to help you get accepted to PA school as quickly and painlessly as possible. Through our years of working at PA programs, reviewing CASPA apps, and interviewing candidates, we saw so many applicants make mistakes that cost them an interview or acceptance into PA school. We don't want this to be you. We will mentor you and guide you through the overwhelm of applying to PA school, creating a competitive application, and nailing your interview so you can finally get accepted. We show you exactly how in our application to acceptance course. Check it out in the show notes. Where will you be in one year if you don't take action? Don't waste your time and money reapplying. Charge forward and go all in on your dream of becoming a PA. You are so close. Don't stop now. Let's get you accepted. Again, check out the application to acceptance course in the show notes. Now on to today's episode. Mitch, thank you so much for coming on to our podcast. It is an honor to have you. To get started, tell us a little bit about your background and and where you are. Yeah, so I'm um, I'm in Australia. I'm in a it's called North Queensland, which is one of the hotter northern northern parts of Queensland. I'm a PA. I work in emergency department, and my journey started out as a, a medic in the Royal Australian Navy. So I worked in the Navy for about twelve years or what, you know, doing primary care, emergency response, remote medicine on ships, and later in my career, I specialised in hyperbaric medicine, so working with mm. the squadrons and the clearance diving teams after about eight and a half years i sort of you know got a bit of an itch to to get out and explore you know what what other career opportunities out there and uh, at the time there was a pa program running in queensland which i um yeah put all my energy into and and, and graduated from that program back in 2012 and now fast forward almost well it is about 10 years now. You know, I've been working in the ED for seven years. Uh, the role has certainly developed over those seven years. Um, it's the first ED to employ uh, physician assistants in Australia. So it's a um, yeah, pioneering role and, and certainly hoping to pave the way and make it a bit easier for PAs coming along. Yeah, I'm really impressed with that. You're a trailblazer for this profession in your country, um, so that's really fantastic. Can you tell us a little bit about how you become a PA in Australia? We're not really sure about what the schooling and the requirements and all that are. Yeah, so back back when I applied, there was the only it was the only uh, PA program running in Australia at the time. It was through the University of Queensland. They offered a master's degree in physician assistant studies, so. My entry into that program was based off my military medical experience. Um, so there was a, an entrance 
for people like myself who were in the military and, and had a, at least five years of, of clinical experience to the satisfaction of the faculty. So other entrances were having some kind of health science background. We had physios, we had pharmacists, uh, we had a podiatrist, uh, um, various other health professionals who wanted a bit of a change in their career path. So back then I made my application, was successful, which was great. And the master's program was two years. The first really was a didactic year of, of face-to-face clinical time where we did do clinical skills and then, you know, home and distance, you know, learning packages where you effectively learn the curriculum and, and be assessed on it fairly routinely, like uh, I think it was quarterly at the time. The second year of that program was around... Two and a half to three thousand clinical hours uh, working in various specialties and subspecialties. I did a lot of time in ED, um, in primary care or general practice, aged care. Uh, I was lucky enough to get a overseas placement and worked over in Ontario in Canada, where I did um, some rotations with uh, electrophysiology and cardiology. So they were some of the highlights of my training. Shout out to the team up there and. So brief. <laughs> That's sort of the, the program. It was it was the right fit for me at the time. Certainly built on the skills that I'd learned in the military and just fit fit the right mold and, and allowed me to use my skills in the civilian sector. Yeah, the structure of or the PA program that you went to sounds very similar to what we do here, which is didactic year first and then clinical year. How many programs do you have in Australia now? Well, I, I wish I could have better news for you. So um, we had... UQ running, so University of Queensland running, they, they graduated two cohorts. Around that time, another university here in North Queensland commenced the program. Now, they offered a three-year bachelor's degree. That university has stopped running the program. Um, UQ stopped running the program after two years, uh, after graduating those two cohorts. Now, I guess here in Australia, things... It's kind of the chicken and the egg scenario where you've, you've got to have PAs to employ PAs in jobs um, and, and you've got to have jobs for PAs to be employed in. You know, it's, it's slow times here. There's certainly been a lot of progress over the last 10 years. In fact, last year in November, the second emergency department employed PAs here in Queensland. And that was the biggest recruitment since when I since I started here in Townsville about seven years ago. So, not great news in terms of training PAs. Certainly here in Queensland, there's enough legislation to employ PAs in any Q Health, like Queensland Health Department. But for a lot of different reasons, political or otherwise, there's 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 been ebbs and flows of PA progress here. So if you guys, uh, the schools aren't running and you're not graduating PAs, do you allow PAs from other countries to come in and work in Australia? Is that mostly who you employ or is it still those cohorts that graduated? So I think, you know, firstly, the, the, the PAs that have been trained in Australia should certainly get preference to PA jobs. And then if, if they can't be filled with Australian trained people, then, then offering it out to overseas trained PAs would be you know, no ideal. The issue is, you know, uptake and PA progress and um, the, the appetite to employ PAs. There's certainly a few different silos here in Queensland, at least, where the legislation is available and and available for any health service to employ PAs. 
they have to self-fund the position and recruit. And, you know, we're talking 10 I graduated. So there's PAs that I graduated with who, you know, for various reasons have, have continued in their old careers and, and gotten to a point where they're comfortable or have moved on to alternate careers, which you know, makes their employability as a PA not as attractive as it was, say, 10 years ago. So I guess at the, at the moment, it's, it's these little silos that are popping up where we've still got PAs that are keen, still got PAs that are, you know, like a challenge and, and, and have um, put their hands up to, you know, to take the PA jobs. How do you fit into the healthcare team in Australia and what is your scope of practice? So, for instance, do you have prescribing rights? Can you work in any specialty? Yeah, so um, the way we're employed is a, a department creates a physician assistant practice plan or a scope of practice and, and that basically outlines the types of roles and tasks that the department wants the PA to do. That That is not specific to any department. Any specialty can employ a PA um, and come up with a plan to, um, you know, for them to, to, to work in that department. Our current role in ED is, is very much very similar to that of a, a junior doctor or a mid-level doctor where we can go and see patients, we can do histories, physical exams, we order, you know, tests, take bloods, we order x-rays, we order CTs and ultrasounds. Uh, to answer your question about prescribing, yes, here in Queensland we have prescribing rights and can prescribe schedule two, three, four, eight medications, including the pain relief, antibiotics, basically all the stuff that you would need to, to prescribe in a functional emergency department. We do the procedural stuff that, that was traditionally done by docs. So we, we suture, we do incision and drainage of, of abscess, we manipulate uh, joints joint for joint reductions, we do manipulations of, of fractures under anesthesia, we provide uh, a difficult access ultrasound body cannulation service for the department and we also do regional anesthesia and ultrasound guided regional anesthesia for things like neck and femur fractures and for those oldies with those femur fractures. Um, so I think it's taken us a long time to get to that point where we're functioning in that sort of capacity. Certainly on day dot we weren't doing that but, but as the department PA relationship and, and our certainly our consultants and our PA relationship grew, you know, we've been able to expand and, and, and get to the point where we're at at the moment. Yeah, it sounds like you have a pretty broad scope of practice and that it's getting broader and broader every year, which is fantastic. And as you know, as you said, as you get to know the people and they get to know you, you get more and more responsibility. Tell us a little bit about, like, what is the insurance like in Australia? Like, obviously over here we have insurance-based system for healthcare. What kind of healthcare system do you guys have? Is it insurance-based or how does that work in Australia? Very broadly, the Australian healthcare system is based on a, a Medicare system. It's universal healthcare, so everyone's entitled to attend a Queensland health or state-based health facility for free. There are private hospitals that offer services, and with private health insurance, you, you foot the bill, um, very similar to what I imagine the US system is like. In the universal health system, like the department I work in, you know, no one pays a cent. Everyone walks in, they get in within time frames, but no one's turned away at the door. Backing up just a little bit, once you graduate from a PA program in Australia, do you sit for boards and how often do you recertify? 
Yeah, so um, I guess very early in the piece when when our profession and our association was developed, we, we, we flirted with the idea of sitting five yearly exams, very similar to what they do in the US. Just about every other health practitioner here in Australia uh, opts for a continuous professional development portfolio where you know you attend conferences, you do courses, you do online learning, you do work-based, work-based assessment, work-based training, and you accrue um, CPD or continuous professional development points. We look at getting 100 points per three years, so 30 points, 33 points roughly per annum. And certainly with us here at Townsville, we can um, basically accrue all of that with our uh, weekly teaching where we sit alongside the registrars and, and learn emergency medicine with the registrar group and you know contribute and train them to do the procedures that we're now doing yeah so it's a it's a you know you hold your cpd portfolio and you can submit that to credentialing boards and and hospital credentialing boards for them to review if you need it so one thing now i've never been to australia i've been to new zealand but i've never made it quite far out to you but every time i think about australia i think about like the wild and i think about diving and i think about all these really unique and interesting things and so in our country we obviously do a lot of chronic disease management in our country so but what are some of the unique healthcare needs of australia just really curious about that here in north queensland and and certainly in remote areas um, access to healthcare is is pretty crucial we have a quite a large indigenous population here in north queensland and certainly in regional areas and 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 allowing them access to healthcare is is you know extremely vital they they have their own health requirements and health needs and, um, you know, we certainly go a long way to providing that service for them. Here in North Queensland as well, we have a lot of people interested in diving. So Great Barrier Reef's just off the coast and attracts a lot of divers per year and, and, and Townsville Hospital has the, the only hyperbaric unit here in North Queensland. So we have all the divers retrieved here when they get ill and they go into our chambers and get treatment. What else is there? Tropical medicine, so... You know, we've got a lot of weird, wonderful bugs up here. Uh, <laughs> I've heard that. Particularly, particularly around times where there's big monsoonal rains and, and, you know, it certainly dredges up a lot of bugs from the soil, which um, has had their own health implications and impacts. They're the ones that come to mind. Yeah. I read somewhere that nine out of the ten most poisonous, like, snakes oh. and spiders oh. and all that kind of stuff live in Australia. And again... I've never been, so I don't know if this is just stereotyping, but do you get a lot of, of that kind of stuff, like snake bites and spider bites and, and kind of those type of things? Yeah, sorry, I, um, I did skip over that. I, and I guess living with that sort of threat, you just sort of forget about it after a while. <laughs> but yes, you know, snake bites that come in. We had a really good one the other day where somebody got bitten by a taipan, which is a pretty nasty snake. It caused some weird neurological features, and this guy had a with no um, atosis and, a, and an ocular palsy. So he's kind of truly envenomated and, um, you know, fortunately did pretty well um, after the team gave him some antivenom. And, but certainly snakes are a big factor up here. It's a nice, warm, humid climate. A lot of people like to go outdoors and do outdoors, outdoorsy things like hiking and camping and, and you know, snakes are like hiding in all those kind of cool spots. So, yeah, people get... They come into work and, you know, we manage them. In terms of spiders, some of the more deadly ones down around the sort of New South Wales area, which is probably about 
16 hours south of here. That's where some of the fun web spiders and those really nasty spiders are. But up here, sure, there are spiders, but, but you know, we, we rarely see a lot of people seeking ED-type care from a, from a spider up here in, in North Queensland anyway. What about shark bites and jellyfish? Yeah, definitely. There's there's the occasional shark bite. Australians love swimming in the ocean and, hey, guess what? The ocean's got sharks in it. So the people I've heard, you know, anecdotal stories from after shark bite is that, you know, the shark was just doing what it is born to do. Like, um, so I guess from their perspective, you know, you, if you swim in the ocean, it's it's, it's a risk you take and, and, and you have to be... Um, you know, prepared for those consequences. So definitely shark bite, but we don't see a lot of them. Jellyfish, absolutely. There's a lot of stingers, particularly north of, say, I'll say Gladstone in Queensland, which is probably about six hours south of here, all the way north. So, yes, we're definitely in jellyfish territory. There's, there's box jellyfish, which are various group of jellyfish that create like an irukandji syndrome, which both can be very fatal, cause a lot of pain. That's refractory to high dose opiates, and we have to get creative in how we manage them. So definitely, definitely jellyfish up here too. Yeah, and we have tiny sharks over here, but I was in South Africa a few years ago, and we did cage diving, and the sharks are massive. They're huge. Yeah, South Africa, that'd be like great white territory. Yeah. Um, and... Certainly down around South Australia, we've got you know, a pretty big great white population, perhaps even off the southwest coast of Western Australia. But yeah, they've, uh, I, guess, I guess if you're getting bitten by a great white shark, you're in the water, you're taking that risk and, and you've got to accept the consequences, I guess. So yeah, you'd be lucky to survive an attack from one of those, I imagine. Yeah, and we're just super fascinated by this one because we are landlocked where we live. Um, and so we don't see, you know, we don't see this. We don't have a lot of venomous, you know, we have some, but venomous, you know, snakes and things in our area. But we love wilderness medicine. And so we've gone to wilderness medicine like CMEs, which is our version of professional development. And they talk about these things and it's really amazing. And, you know, we, we don't use that here. We don't have a whole lot of high altitudes. We don't have to worry about altitude thickness. So in where we practice, it's just not as practical. But I would just think that someplace kind of in the outback or in Australia where it's a little bit more kind of outdoorsy, that type of thing, you see these things. So that's why we're asking. We're just really fascinated because we've never seen it. And, you know, we've read about it and we're tested on it, but we've never actually seen it. Uh, Katie worked ER for 10 years and, you know, shark bites just don't come in because we don't live near the ocean. And so it's just really, really fascinating. And I think it really speaks to the flexibility of the PA profession because here we are doing our thing, you know, and the ED looks entirely different than the ED does over there. And I think that, that is, uh, that's really fascinating. So that's why we're asking you all these questions. <laughs> Another sort of creature that you guys be familiar with, crocodiles. So they, they bite people occasionally. The other, the other day we've got a uh, crocodile stenter that, that looks after wildlife just south of here. And one of the handlers was handling a little crocodile and it had the, the mouth taped up. But when it sort of thrashed, he, he got one of the teeth into his one of his MCPs um, and, and ended up with a nasty infection. But, yeah, look, you know, you've got reptiles, you've got um, snakes, you've got sharks, a lot of other creatures. Um, yeah, people people like playing with them. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's just really interesting. That's just really interesting to see the, the difference in things that come in there. So 
I know you said that, you know, the schools aren't really graduating PAs, but you've seen your scope of practice seems to be increasing as the hospital and the registrars and everything get used to you and kind of give you more freedom. Where do you think the future of the PA profession is in your country? Do you think it's a bright future or are we still kind of up in the air? I certainly think there's a place for PA in the Australian healthcare system. And certainly when COVID struck a couple of years ago here, you know, it was very quickly identified that there's, you know, workplace healthcare shortages, you know, a lot of regional sort of hospitals and regional centres rely on recruitment from overseas for uh, filling their positions with, with, with doctors, with nurses. So certainly during COVID where we weren't having any international travel, where, you know, we had to rely on the, the staff and the, and the people who are on the ground to do the job, we've, we've certainly seen an expansion of our role since then. And, you know, I hope that, you know, looking at that, there's, there's hopefully some high-level discussions about, you know, the kind of solutions that we can create from here inside Australia. And, and several years ago, it was, it was trialled and, trialed and tested, you know, various supporting papers to say that PDAs are, you know, a solution to workforce shortages. And, you know, I think, I think it's certainly progressing here in Queensland. I can't speak for the other states because they've... They've all been watching on and waiting and seeing how Queensland goes. But just last year, we had four additional PAs employed in Queensland, so down in southeast Queensland, the Sunshine Coast Hospital. So I see these little silos popping up. It's great to have another emergency department employing PAs because now we can collaborate and talk and you know, share our knowledge and, and start to have an impact and start sort of pushing for, for, for more broader uptake. So I certainly see the profession developing. You know, I've, I've sort of been in the system now for about 10 years since I graduated, and I've certainly seen these peaks and troughs of PA, PA habit time, PA sort of progress. But I certainly see the graph over that time as an upward trend, not a not a downward sort of slope to to, to the inevitable demise. So you know, I'm hopeful and. and now that we've got another centre up and running, hopefully some other centres are looking on and certainly looking at opportunities to, you know, fill workplace shortages with PAs. Mitch, we have one final question for you, and we ask everybody this question. Who are you when the white coat comes off? Yeah, look, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a dad. Um, I've got a, another baby on the way, due in May, which is Yay. super exciting. Um, oh, congrats. So I've got two daughters, and the next one's going to be a bit of a surprise, so we don't know what we're having. I love jiu-jitsu. I do jiu-jitsu in my off time and it's sort of something that I absolutely enjoy and love doing and, and it's, I think a lot of the you know, learning opportunities you get from jiu-jitsu you can transcribe into life so you know, failure is growth. You know, failure isn't failure, failure is growth and you know, the people who are successful have probably failed more times than you tried so certainly I take that from jiu-jitsu and I bring it into life and, and use that as a bit of a sort of a guidance for me. Uh, I love to go out in the outdoors. I love camping with my family. And I like uh, going back down south and seeing my, my mum, dad, brother, sister-in-law and their kids and just spending quality time together. That's sort of uh, me in a nutshell. <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing your experiences with us. It's always so interesting to hear about the PA profession in other countries. And we really appreciate your time. Uh, we know that the time zone was crazy, so thank you so much for working with us for that. Again, thank you so much for your time and your expertise, and we're really, really excited to see what's going to happen with the PA profession in Australia. 
Yeah, thanks for having me. And um, yeah, appreciate it. It's been, it's been lovely chatting and best over there in the States. Thank you so much for listening to Where the White Coats Come Off. We are so happy to connect with you and share our passion of the PA profession. Don't forget to go to the show notes and join our super fun Pacers membership so you can start making your CASPA application more competitive today with virtual shadowing hours, coaching sessions with us, and so much more. Also in the show notes, we have a free download, an Excel PA school record keeper that mimics CASPA format, meaning you keep all of your shadowing hours, patient care experiences, volunteer information, awards you have received, leadership roles, and the loads of other information you need to apply to PA school in one place. So you can copy paste into CASPA when you go to apply. Get it in the show notes. Have a great day and we will see you at the next episode. Keep up the awesome work.